Today on Ag News Daily. Great would it be if we could say Iowa, number one in pork, <laughs> soybeans, uh, and, and fish. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Thursday, May 11th. And I am Mike Pearson, co-host of this podcast we call Ag News Daily. And joining me is my co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's things? Things are good. I'm currently sitting in my car, cutting uh, the podcast with you. And I'm staring at these two ugly birds. They're like digging through the grass and I guess picking out worms or something. But I hate birds. I think they're disgusting. Well, birds do a lot of good. They uh, eat bugs and... Um, the only thing they're good for is to be eight. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Why would you eat a bird when you can eat a steer? I don't know. I like chicken. Yeah, I, I like chicken, too. That's true. And people better <laughs> love ducks. That's right. Oh, boy. Your duck eggs. My duck How's eggs. How's that going? You know, the ducks, the ducks are just fine. They're growing. They're happy. We had some rain yesterday, a fair bit of rain here around Grinnell. And filled up their pool, cleaned out the water. It saved me doing a whole lot of work. The problem, Delaney, it is currently, we are cutting this in the uh, mid-afternoon. And the Kubota tractor that I talked about on air yesterday or the day before wasn't quite working right. I finally got up the nerve to call the dealership and have them send down a tech. And they sent a guy down. Great guy. His name is Rex. I got him lunch in town. Uh, He has been working on my tractor for coming up on five hours oh my gosh and he doesn't quite know what is wrong with it you're gonna have an expensive bill i'm gonna have an expensive bill. <laughs> yeah so that's that's how my day is going <laughs> good yeah good yeah at least he's a friendly guy and uh He's fixed a lot of the little stuff that was broken on it that I just, you know, covered up with tape. He, uh, <laughs> so we got that going for it. As soon as we can get it moving, it'll be in great shape. But uh, Well, that's know. nice that you bought him lunch. Well, I mean, I don't think he I, he didn't bring a lunch. I don't think he planned on being out here through uh, the lunch yeah. hour. <laughs> so I, I felt really bad. I was going into town to get some more protein for the cows. And I was like, oh, hey, you clearly haven't eaten. Um, <laughs> what would you like? You know, you got to take care of the people who are taking care of you. Good. That's good. Yeah. So that's the news on my side of things. Delaney, you got anything else we need to uh, talk about? I'm done with my grad classes. All right. Congratulations. You got your uh, statistics thing all submitted? Oh, my gosh. It was hard. And I don't know how well I did on it. I submitted a project, and I'm not – I don't know. It was rough. Delaney, what do you call the the person who graduates at the bottom of their class from medical school? (laughs) A doctor. A doctor. Exactly. I know. C's get degrees. Well, I don't think if you're a doctor, you can get C's. Oh, I think they can. I think I've had a doctor that had gotten C's. (laughs) I don't think that's a doctor I want to go see. It is not. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, well, congratulations. That is big news. You're all finished for another month or two. Yeah, yeah. Then we'll we'll get you back in there, studying up, mm-hmm. learning, getting ready to communicate yep. about agriculture more effectively. <laughs> That's right. All right. So that is big news. Do we have any news on the uh, world of agriculture? Well, I think it's definitely big news because both you and I um, brought it up before we started recording the podcast today. Um, Secretary Sonny Perdue is shaking things up in the USDA. He's changing the structure of how it's going to be run. And he is implementing to have a trade 
undersecretary, I believe that's the correct term, is it not, yes. Mike? Undersecretary of Trade at USDA. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I thought this was pretty interesting, but this is the first time that the USDA has had a major reorganization since 1994. That's the year I was born. <laughs> You're making all of us feel old, Delaney. No, that's not the point of that. I'm, that's, I mean, that's a long time. There's been a lot that has happened since then. So I think it's, I'm just excited. I think he is awesome. And I mean, I'm not hashing on Vilsack because I don't really know that I paid all that much attention, but it doesn't seem like he was this vocal or this, go-getting in the first whatever couple weeks of his um nomination or confirmation as ag secretary well you know when secretary vilsack came in at a different time you know agriculture was on the upswing in 2008 so he Mm -hmm. was like whoa hey you know everybody's having fun you know and uh, of course sonny purdue's coming in at a very different period Mm -hmm. in the ag life cycle so he's got different challenges to face um so, yeah, he, un- he announced the Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Affairs, and there mm-hmm. was another Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation. So this, we played the comment earlier, his question during the town hall about how are we going to make the USDA more responsive to farmers and less like an interrogation, and that it sounds like is going to be this Undersecretary's job, he is going to uh, put the FSA, the RMA, and the NRCS under this one undersecretary so when you go into your usda office boom it's all it's a one-stop shop is what he called it so hopefully that'll help well and at secretary purdue's town hall meeting in nevada you accidentally got to sit into the meeting where they discussed this before it was officially announced isn't that right mike i i did yeah and it wasn't an accident Kowser invited me um but, uh, yeah, I had the chance to to sit in when we were doing the roundtable discussion, and uh, this was one of the things that Sonny Purdue had talked about. He said, you know, I just want to let you guys know, because a lot of the concerns were related to trade. You know, coming mm-hmm. from agriculture, we look to China, we look to Mexico, we look to South Korea, and we see incredible partners, whereas American manufacturing and President Donald Trump see competitors. And right. uh, so a lot of the folks in that room were saying, hey, look, we need to get the message through to Donald Trump that – we need these people. We produce a pile of grain in this country. We need to make sure our side of the trade story is being told. And Secretary Purdue kind of said, all right, look, here's the deal. In two weeks, we're announcing that uh, we will be having a new Undersecretary of Trade whose focus will be on basically telling that story and making sure we continue to get a seat at the table for U.S. ag when it comes to exports. Well, yeah, and I didn't mean that you had been there on I snuck in. You, you snuck. Well, I mean, Kowser invited you, but you are kind of media, so you weren't really supposed to be in there. But that's okay. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't recording or anything. No, no right. I'm we a, just couldn't talk about it on air until now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, Tim, Secretary Purdue's. Uh, I... Was it Tim Murtaugh? Yes, Murtaugh. I think that's Murtaugh. His, I think from. His, uh, uh, I think he was related to. Uh, a uh, lethal weapon. Um, sorry. That is you his... don't get that reference because you were oh born my in gosh. 1994. That's his director of communications. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, he, he asked that I not talk about it. And I wasn't there as a media person. I was there right. as cattleman and, uh, you know, small-time farmer. 
Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that is cool news. So we'll see what this means. You know, I guess I say this every episode, but we'll see what it means going forward. Um, <laughs> exactly what role these new undersecretaries play and whether or not this does make the USDA any more efficient and responsive to farmers. That's right. In other trade news, we still don't have a final confirmation vote for um, Robert Lighthizer, who is the nomination for the trade representative. But two senators have come out and been very vocal that they do not support his nomination, and that is Senator John McCain and then also Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska. And um, so it, the the article that I've been reading says it's still very likely that, that Lighthizer will get the 51 votes he needs for Senate approval, even without these two um, s- so still waiting, really, to figure out when that's going to happen. But they said, you know, as early as today. So we'll see if uh, if something gets slated for that. It, did it say why they didn't they wouldn't support him? It did. It. They just said that they're fearful he doesn't understand the appreciation of NAFTA in regards especially to agriculture. But, you know, maybe with um with the new trade or undersecretary of trade, with the USDA, maybe that will help those senators feel a little more comfortable with Lighthizer's nomination. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. Let's see. Oh, we've got some fun news here for all of our young listeners or our listeners with uh, with kids in FFA and 4-H. Titan International, Titan Tire, um, every year does a runs a program where if you restore an antique tractor... Um, they can give you a set of tires. And so every year at the Iowa State Fair, I'm always excited to go and look at the FFA and 4-H kids projects. And there are so many brand new sets of Titan tires on those machines. Basically, if you are interested, if you are doing a tractor restoration this summer and you want to apply, visit titan-intl.com slash antique tractor restoration. And it'll have the guidelines and, and what all you need to do. The guy in charge of this is Scott Sloan, who is a fantastic person, um, married to, I believe, the reserve mayor of Altoona, Iowa. And huh. uh, he says, we are proud to support programs like FFA and 4-H that are setting the stage for the future of agriculture. The immense amount of time, talent, and hard work that goes into these restoration projects is commendable. So if you are looking to do a restoration, be sure to check out uh, Titan Tire. I do like looking at those tractors at the fair. It is really fun to see I, all the work that they put in them. It is. And I look at it and I go, man, I wish I had a quarter mm-hmm. of the talent and the skill that uh, yeah. these young people do. Because I, or the patience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any of that. No, Which is why neither. the Kubota Tech is out there coming up on five <laughs> hours. <laughs> With my broken, broken uh, he was He pulled no in kidding. and I said, hey, while you're here, I've got an Alice Chalmers 180 that isn't working either. Uh, do you want to take a look at that? You know, if I'm already paying the the trip charge uh-huh. might as well you know kill two birds with one stone so he's not I, gonna have time well he said i think he's getting sick of of dinking with his kubota so he said he was gonna go down and and look at the 180 so we'll see i think that one okay. just needs a hydraulic pump but all gosh. right anyhow so that's the news i got delaney what else you got i just have one more little story or snippet here about the u.s dairy industry um the u.s dairy council released the first quarter of 2017 
sales and volume and said that we are up 14% in volume and 17% in value compared to a year ago. Nice. So like we like we followed with the the dairy issue, there is a lot of milk in production in the United States. So it's surprising actually that it would go up still that much more. Well, that's good news. You know, the best mm-hmm. way to improve the uh, price is to get some of it off of our shores. That's right. So um, still, you know, hopefully looking in NAFTA to work with Canada and Mexico to get more of that milk out. You bet. You know, while we're on the subject of production, that's milk production, looking down south of the uh, South America, south of the equator, Brazil announced uh, Unica, which is the Union of Sugarcane Industry Association, but it's got a Portuguese nickname. Um, or Portuguese acronym, they said that ethanol production from sugarcane in Brazil plummeted during the first half of April. So we hopefully will be seeing more exports of U.S. corn ethanol going over to uh, going down to Brazil uh, over the summer. Mm, That's exciting, actually. Surprising, too, with their large South American crop. Exactly. But they don't have, uh, I I believe, and this is something we can look into a little bit more, I believe there's only one corn ethanol plant in Brazil, and it was started by, uh, or at least consulted on by Summit Agricultural Group here in Iowa. Oh, that is interesting. I think they're the only only corn-based, the rest of it's all sugarcane produced. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of corn... Why don't you read us today's closing market prices? I certainly shall, and it was good news for end users, not necessarily producers, on the grain side today. A lot of red on the screen. Corn May contract down four and three quarter cents, closed the day at three sixty and a half. The December contract down four and a quarter, closed at three eighty seven and a quarter. Looking at soybeans, May old crop beans dropped five and three quarter cents, finishing at five nine fifty six even. November beans down two and three quarters, closed at nine sixty four even. The only bit of green on the screen is in the wheat market. May wheat rose two cents to finish at four twenty six even. The December contract rose a quarter of a penny to close the day at four sixty seven and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, more softness there in these markets. The June live cattle contract dropped. 27 and a half cents closed at 12392 and a half the august contract down 72 and a half cents finishing at 11967 and a half in feeder cattle front month may feeders took a beating down $2.12 and a half cents closed at 14237 and a half the august contract dropped a buck 60 finishing at 14732 and a half over in lean hogs, the May contract, oh, we got a little bit of green. May lean hogs up 47.5 cents, closed at 71.52.5. The June contract dropped 15 cents, closing at 77.05. Looking at milk, we continue yesterday's strength. The June contract rose 23 cents today, perhaps on stronger export news, and closed at 16.32. Now, Delaney, in none of these contracts are we talking about fish. But mm-hmm. we're talking about fish with our interview today, aren't we? We are, and we talk a little bit about that, how there is no market yet for fish, but maybe someday, you know, we'll, we'll see some of these value-added products like fish or pellets or wood or whatever have some place in the markets. You bet. Find a place to trade. Well, mm-hmm. today we are going to be talking to Joe Sweeney. He is the founder and co-owner of Eagles Catch Farms, or Eagles Catch LLLP, which is a fish farm under construction currently in central Iowa. So, Delaney, 
without further ado, should we turn it over and uh, hear what Joe has to say? Yes, I think we should. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, we are very excited. Today we are talking to serial entrepreneur and young Iowan, always out and about starting new things, and his name is Joe Sweeney. And Joe, you've got a new project that began in earnest, I understand, earlier this year. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've got cooking? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Mike and Delaney, and uh, certainly excited to be here, part of your program. I just uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, American aquaculture, and that's what I've been involved in here in, for the last three to four years. Uh, we had started a business in, in aquaculture about four years ago, which we sold uh, last year about this time, and uh, decided that, yeah, I, we really think that we're in the right space in the industry. We really think that we are uh, in the right space as far as you know product and, and the deficiencies in the market, and so... We are currently building what's going uh, building an aquaculture farm. So we're going to be raising tilapia fish that uh, is going to be going to retail stores and to restaurants and to quite a few ethnic markets in uh, the Midwest and Canada. So that's what we're working on today. Joe, you, this is going to be a completely indoor operation, isn't it? That's right. One of the uh, major developments in aquaculture, and I'll, I'll back up here for a second. Aquaculture has been a practice that was first established in Eastern Asia over a millennia ago. And as it has developed, uh, within the last 30 years, that on-land systems in intensive indoor culture has started to come about, and it hasn't been until really the last 10 years that indoor aquaculture in an intensive setting has been competitive on a price point compared to either pond-raised system or wild-caught or uh, any other way that you can, you can grow fish. And so what we're doing today is building one of uh, the most state-of-the-art systems that uh, is indoors, intensive, and hopefully going to grow a lot of fish in a small amount of area and in a small amount of water with, uh, with reduced energy consumption, reduced greenhouse gases, and really trying to optimize all of the different variables that go into raising an animal that like we have found with pork or with chicken or with beef or any other commodities that we grow here in Iowa. Now, Joe, you mentioned about 10 years ago, you started to see the efficiencies and the, the cost per unit come down for indoor aquaculture. What caused that? Was it technology or different breeding of the animals? What's made it cost effective? All of the above. Now, I will say... I'll say this, when they started this on-land systems in these recirculating systems where they filter the water so that way the fish have a clean and healthy environment for them to grow and to flourish, and that way they can grow them in uh, higher densities, that uh, really started 30 years ago, as I said. At that time, it really was a science experiment, if I'm going to be honest. And they had some people that were making it work as a business starting probably about 30 years ago. And with the development of technology, and as, uh, over the last 30 years and within that, the last 10 years, that the technology has started getting to a point where it's not as intensive, it doesn't require as many moving parts, you can uh, feed the same amount of fish with less labor, and you're able to really achieve some feed efficiencies, 
that you really started seeing a lot of people start to catch their attention. And then when that started happening, we started in probably the last five to ten years, we started seeing selective, our modern selective breeding practices start to be applied to a, uh, an industry where fish have been grown outside or raised in the wild for, for basically forever. And so while we've got this roadmap from these different breeds and different, um, different types of animal that we've developed here in Iowa and in the United States, we're just now starting to see those selective breeding practices that are making it more efficient and making a fish that yields better in a faster amount of time. Well, we just had some good fish for lunch, so I'm, I'm glad we're talking about fish today. <laughs> um, Joe, where or how are you going to source the fish? Are you going to have a hatchery there on site? So right now we're working with some great partners uh, that are out of Louisiana that are growing the fish and have been doing so for some time. Um, that particular farm was one of the first indoor farms in the United States and uh, was built by a guy that is now on our team. And he, uh, within the last five to ten years, has been handing that down to a younger couple that uh, really has got some spit and vinegar and have been doing a really, really good job at rearing fish. And those are some of the people that are really on top of the genetics and growing the, the, uh, the capabilities of these fish for indoor systems. And uh, so they are the ones that have really been doing the selective breeding process that I was just talking about. So we're really excited to work with them. They are going to be mailing us uh, baby fish, mm. UPS, um, <laughs> the or, excuse me, they actually put it on a Southwest Airlines flight in oh. uh, either Baton Rouge or New Orleans, and they fly it to Des Moines, and we pick it up from the airport, and we rush them home and get them in some water. How big are the, the little baby fish? Tadpoles? Is that what? No, that's wrong. What do yeah. you call a baby fish? Well, a fishy? We call a baby fish a fry. Oh, a and, fry. Uh, yeah, and we get them about a quarter of a gram. And uh, what, Break, break what that down that for me, Joe. Do. This is America. Yep. What's that mean? This is America, yeah. And aquaculture, everything is in metrics. That's something we had to get oh. used to. But uh, a, a quarter of a gram is about uh, the, the width of two to three quarters. Mm. Or uh, wow. when you see them in a tank, all you can see is really their eyeballs. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're almost translucent at that point, too. So those uh, we'll get those. We'll probably be getting that uh, every two weeks, at what point we will probably get about 100,000 to 150,000 fish a week at uh, mm. that size. Now, how, how long will it take for those fish to be marketable, uh, harvestable, show up at the grocery store? So we, uh, we budget on uh, about 275 days, and that's growing them from a quarter gram to about 800 grams. Now, uh, that uh, is probably on the larger size of what we'll market. That's about 1.8-pound fish mm -hmm. that we would market, and that's to the larger size of the market. Okay. On a, in a retail store like Hy-Vee or Fairway, you would probably see an 8-ounce fillet which translates to about a one-and-a-half-pound fish. So that's a little bit smaller. So that would take a little bit less time to raise a fish for that kind of setting. So where do you have retailers that are, that are already lined up that are going to take your product once it starts, or are you still working on that? I mean, can we find your fish somewhere around Des Moines? Yes, yeah, so we're, uh, we're currently working with a number of retail outlets as well as uh, live uh, ethnic markets throughout uh, the Midwest and in Canada. We're working with some great folks that have been in the 
been in the business for some time, and uh, we're really confident in the ability and where uh, in the demand for this fish. And so we're kind of leaving it a little bit open today, um, but we've got some very interested stores. Uh, Whole Foods markets, we've, uh, peop- uh, our team has supplied Whole Foods markets for about nine years. And so those are relationships that we're going to be continuing, uh, as well as several other contacts throughout uh, the retail stores. Uh, you know, our, our main targets would be uh, Whole Foods, Costco, Kroger. Those are some of the one uh, more forward-thinking stores um, in, in the country that really look at the certification programs, that really look at that uh, grown locally or USA-grown uh, label and really place a high value on that. Now, I understand USA Grown. I mean, the the amount of the standards we have for our food, of course, is better than anybody else in the world. But Joe, I want to ask you two questions. The first one, why Iowa? Louisiana makes sense. I imagine tilapia like to be kept pretty warm. Um, what? How does it make sense to build a building and heat the building throughout the Iowa winter? And then follow up is why tilapia? over all the other fish that are out there? Well, that's a, that is a very good question. That's going to take me a while to break that down <laughs> into, into several steps. So first of all, why Iowa? Well, number one, I think that Iowans in general really know how to raise food, and they know how to do it efficiently, and they know how to do it on a world, worldwide scale. We see that Iowa is number one in pork, soybeans, chickens, uh, layers, uh, broilers, um, and I, I can keep going, right? We're very good at raising food here in Iowa. And on top of that, we have an abundant water source of quality water. Now, when you compare what other farms across the United, other United States are looking at, they've got some serious water issues. We see uh, water quantity as well as quad quality being a major issue worldwide. In Iowa, it's, it's almost the reverse. I have to explain to people uh, many, many times about how we actually tile our ground to get the water out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to a lot of people. And so that on top of we've got a supportive regulatory body that is forward-thinking and is wanting to grow Iowa's agriculture We've got an incredible support network through Iowa State University and several other programs that have uh, have been a part of this industry, wanting this to get going. And you compare that to where else in the world is going on. I know farmers that are in Washington that have been, you know, waiting for a permit to grow their operation for almost ten years now. Oh. And uh, so that actually has a much bigger effect than what most people realize. Now, uh, now, why Iowa in terms of weather? Yeah, the, the tilapia is a warm water species. It likes its water about 82 degrees. Um, one of the things that we learned in our first business is that uh, you have to be really careful with your building structures. And so what we're actually doing today is building it in a greenhouse, which is actually engineered for the, the weather, the, the high and low temperatures, and for the wind and for the storms. Um, to handle all that. In fact, uh, the same building, uh, greenhouse structures are being erected in Alaska even. Hmm. And nine, month, nine months out of the year, yeah, it heats itself. And two months out of the year, yeah, it is, uh, you're dumping a lot of heat into that. 
but as you look at the year-long average, it's going to more than make up because that greenhouse creates its own heat uh, for a majority of the year. Gotcha. Why tilapia, then, of all the various oh. fishies that are out there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really good question, one I'm excited to tell you about. If we had to compare tilapia to maybe something we're a little more accustomed to here in Iowa, where salmon is probably your more filet mignon, mm -hmm. tilapia is more like your chicken breast. It's mild in flavor. It's affordable. It's something that a lot of people can get behind and like the taste of. It's very mild tasting, and it lends itself to however you want to cook it. So it's really a blank slate for an affordable product for a wide market appeal. On top of that, it, uh, it's, it's one of the top five seafood products in the United States. Number one is shrimp. Number two is actually canned tuna. Number three is salmon. Number four is tilapia. And number five is Alaskan pollock, which is like what you'd see in your fish fillets, or uh, excuse me, your uh, Mc, uh, McFillets. And yeah, fillet of fish. <laughs> fillet of fish, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Um, and so it's one of the top uh, seafood products in the United States. It's a, it's of the top five, it's the only warm water species that uh, can be grown in these intensive settings on a, on a scale that is cost competitive. And uh, it's, it's one of the only ones that has as much research and development done over hundreds of years and has a wide uh, knowledge base in the United States. You see organizations such as the uh, University of Auburn and Louisiana State University that have are really the, the top universities for aquaculture that have done an incredible amount of research and development on tilapia, on feed studies, knowing what kind of enzymes they need in their diet, what kind of, uh, you name it, you know. And, uh, and so this is the fish, uh, number number four seafood product in the United States. It uh, has a wide, uh, a lot of people know what it is, and it's a great tasting and um, really a blank slate. And I think when you compare it to the rest of Iowa agriculture, it's this commodity that we can get into a process and get to a point where we can produce it on a scale such as hog farming or chicken farming. I think that's really possible. Makes sense. There's not a, there, you can't hedge or there's not a commodity market for fish yet, is there? Not today. Okay. So um, maybe someday. Someday. Someday if we get enough of it here. Uh, how great would it be if we could say Iowa, number one in pork, <laughs> soybeans, and, tilapia. Uh, and, and fish. Yeah. You know, how great would that be? And everybody's a little landlocked, Iowa. Oh, wow. Huh. Right, and given the uh, the amount of beans that we have piling up at countryside elevators, I think a lot of farmers would welcome uh, anything to chew through more of that supply. Yeah, you're Joe, absolutely right, <laughs> Joe. I just have one final question for you. Where are you at in this process? Are you, do you have buildings up yet? When do you expect to start growing fish? We have uh, our first facility that we built and sold last year is already in operation. It's been doing very well. The current facility we're working on, I'm actually going to be heading, uh, I'm on my way there right now, um, and it's uh, in construction, but we are looking forward to be receiving fish between January, or excuse me, July and August of this year, oh, wow. and hopefully be selling that fish uh, by Christmas time. In fact, the fish that's going to be in our facility are already growing in Louisiana. 
Joe, once that Christmas time rolls around, can people find your fish by brand name or will they mar be marketed through the stores? What should we be keeping an eye out so we can uh, support a new Midwestern industry? Right. If you go into a high V or a fairway store and you look at their seafood counter, you'll see tilapia fillets that uh, is usually in those stores, either farm-raised in Ecuador or China or otherwise. And uh, that's what our product is really going to be displayed as. It's going to be behind the counter. And uh, I think anytime you see grown in USA, I think you've got uh, a really quality product that you can, you can believe in. Awesome, Joe. This has been an interesting conversation. And uh, make sure and keep us updated when you have some news in the fish industry that we could share with people. And maybe we can have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, once the fish are growing, we'd love to get you back on and, and hear a little bit more about the science behind what it takes to keep the water hospitable to fish. You're right. I look forward to that. Again, a big thank you to Joe. That is that is really interesting. I was in Mississippi I guess almost a year ago now, talking catfish, and so I'm always interested to see some of those those different commodities that we're not used to here in the Midwest. That's right. You know, it is interesting, Delaney, but something about it seems a little fishy. I knew I used some <laughs> awful pun. That was the best I could come up with. I should have been uh, thinking about it earlier. Written down the one that little, came to me last a little, night. It was a little crappy. Well, but they're not crappies. They're uh, tilapias, and it's hard to make that into a pun. That is true. Tilapapia? Tilapia? <laughs> yeah, Anyhow, so we have another conversation coming tomorrow, do we not? Mm-hmm, we do, with Steve Hilker of Hilker Trucking. We're going to be talking electronic log books and, and sort of the, um, I would say it's more of the livestock take on what's going on with that. That's right. And uh, so I was I was looking up Steve a little bit uh, yesterday or the day before, and he has, I think, one of the best domain names on the Internet. Uh, he hauls cattle out of central Kansas. Do you know what his website is, Delaney? What? Cattletrucks.com. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's pretty just fantastic. Yeah, it's just, yeah. what do you do? It's like uh, Hoxie Feed Yards down there in Kansas. Their website is Feed Cattle. Oh, what do you do? <laughs> Check out feedcattle.com. Oh, it's Hoxie Feed Yards. Yeah. Feed cow, do cow. What? That's a, it's a, it's a media term. You see a cow, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I think that's how you say it. What, what can you see say cow, it See cow, do cow. Like if you see a cow or if they're talking about a cow, then you're going to see a cow on screen. Oh, see cow, do cow. Okay. I think that's, I think that's Feels how you like say Feels like that it. might be something you wouldn't want to Google. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Now that you've said it, we might use it, lose our clean rating on iTunes. Oh, great. Jeez, Delaney. Next thing you're <laughs> going to tell us, he was just helping that sheep through the fence. What? <laughs> Visualize it, and then you No, ready. I don't want to. Anyhow, with all of that being said, Delaney, I suppose we should encourage everybody to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to us there. And stay tuned. Next week, we will be going live with agnewsdaily.com. And we want to wish you all a fantastic Thursday and early part of Friday until we see you again tomorrow with Steve Hilker. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.